I want to talk about generosity this morning. I was uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I got to this portion where Jesus says, love your neighbor. You know, it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And then it goes on to say, so that you may be like your Father in heaven, since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I just started chewing on that for a while, and it caught a hold of me because when he is dictating that all receive some of the blessing of sun and rain, he, in a sense, is allowing those who will never appreciate him to receive blessing from him. In fact, he's, he's allowing those who would scorn him to receive blessing from him. Those who would be adversarial toward him, he's still allowing them to receive blessing from him. And so when I bring that back into my own life, it's a lot, <laughs> it forces me to say, okay, what's going on here? Because even in that, um, my tendency would be, well, if Jesus hadn't said it, you know, it, it, I mean, it's poetic, right? And I get that he was, in a sense, even pulling apart the terms because in this, uh, the term hate an enemy in the original languages were kind of worked off of each other. So the very root of it is, is tied together, that idea of hating an enemy. Uh, and, and we have the two separate words, but it was almost like one word for them, and yet he's pulling it apart and saying there's another way to, to live your life, even though these things are so joined together in natural life. So it goes on, and, and Jesus says, you know, if you love those who love you, um, that's what everybody does, even the tax collectors. Um, this time of year, even the IRS. No, it, but even in that day, they had a similar mindset toward that, right? And so he's just saying, everybody does that. And he goes on, if you greet only your friends, again, even the Gentiles, those who don't believe in God, they, they do that. And so he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, you know, that, um, that term, perfect, uh, is best used as in the idea of mature or like you're imitating God. You know, he says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, he's calling us to act like God acts. And, and that's if we live in full maturity, there's going to be that generosity about our lives that is similar to the way that God responds to us and to humanity. Um, there's a passage in Hosea that has, um, it, it's kind of a, a dramatic presentation, but I'd like to read some of God's interaction with humanity in that. It says, um, Israel was a young man, I loved him like a son. I summoned my son out of Egypt. But the more I summoned them, the farther they departed from me. So he's saying, I, I was loving Israel. I was pulling them out of their troubles. 
And yet they just, they, they, they walked away from me. It says, I led Ephraim, another term for Israel. I took them by the arm. They did not acknowledge that I had healed them. I led them with leather cords and leather ropes. Now, we, we're left wondering, what on earth does that mean? But some of the translations earlier used would, cords of love. Uh, the idea is that he was, he was guiding them in a, to a good direction. And he uses even a, a cattle idea later on when he's going, you know, I took off the yoke and I allowed them to eat. I fed them. So it's the idea of a compassionate God caring for his people even though they were wandering off and doing their own thing. And he says, in that, I've, I've got to let them go and, and experience disaster. In the next few verses, he tells them, you're going to get hauled away again. So trouble's coming. But then there's this passage that follows that. It goes, how can I give you up? How can I surrender you? I've had a change of heart. All my tender compassions are aroused. I can't carry out my fierce anger. I cannot totally destroy Ephraim because I am God and not man. The Holy One among you, I will not come in wrath. So in this passage, he's expressing emotion in a way that we would feel it when we're intense with someone and are angry. And he's going, yeah, I can't let that rule me. That's not who I am. He's going, I'm, I'm going to draw them back. Even though they go off in disaster, I'm going to pull them back. I'm not going to abandon them. What a powerful idea. I, uh, early in ministry, I worked in a, a number of prison ministries. I don't know, um, half a dozen to a dozen, somewhere in that range, and did a, a street work in a number of, of ghetto areas and cities. And... In that, you begin to get pretty skeptical of people's stories uh, because regularly people are trying to use you. They, you know, they'll tell you a, a story that sounds amazing, you know, of their tragedy and how they really need your help. And then, uh, like in one situation, a guy that finally got a dollar out of me <laughs> for the bus pulled a wad of bills out of his pocket, wrapped it around, and shoved it back in. And I'm going, I've been used. You know, that was a great story, but I've been used. And when he came back the next day, you know, I said, get out of here. You know, because you, you begin to just, no. No, I don't want to be used. But that callous that has a tendency to form on us in some ways, God is calling us to say, yeah, not, not completely. <laughs> That's not your option. I'm calling you to a higher standard in your loving of people than even what others are willing to return toward you. And so there's a generosity that needs to be a part of our lives whether others are responding or not, even if they're adversarial. So it's a, it's a challenge to look at this and say, okay, that's a good scripture. I'm not sure I want to take this any further. Because if that means applying it into day-to-day -day relationships, how do we get past the tension of loss 
and letting go of things that are ours that others are going to misuse. So let's, let's go on for a bit. Jesus, in dealing with a rich young ruler, when he came to um, say, I, I'll, I'll do everything to follow you, Jesus said, great, go get rid of your stuff and come follow me. And he goes away very sad because apparently he was an accumulator. If you've ever seen my back porch, you know that I am too. <laughs> I like things. I need those things. They're precious to me. But there's this tension of releasing, right? Not throwing, giving away. <laughs> no. uh, however, um, I'm really getting distracted, even in my own self now. Um, but that, that need to clutch and hang on to is in every one of us. And in some ways, God says, I can help you get past that. At the end of that particular passage with the rich young ruler, um, Peter goes, well, what about us? We've left everything. You know, we, we gave it all up to follow you. And Jesus says, anyone who's given up, you know, all these things in this lifetime will not fail to receive in this lifetime and the next. So he's saying, I, I'm not going to just abandon you. You're not, you're not just going to give, 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 and, and nothing in return. He says, I have plans to sustain you even in the giving. And that's something that, that we have to trust him with, so to speak. Um, it's interesting to me also that in Galatians, when the fruit of the Spirit are listed, the old translations, rather than use patience, they used to use long-suffering. And so, in a sense, the call is to allow that to become a part of our lives as a part of God's Spirit in us. Romans 12 says, If possible, live peaceably with all people. Don't avenge yourselves. And then it quotes out of Proverbs chapter 25. It says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It says, God will see things through, and he will take vengeance at the appropriate time. And it's just like when we hear, when you, you can't live as an enemy of God forever, there is a destruction coming in regard to that. But his long-suffering generosity is something that everyone gets to participate in. And so as we take that on for ourselves, we embrace the idea that some of our relationships might have a long-suffering quality about them in our relationship to God, and it's only going to come as He turns our hearts. We can't manufacture this on our own, not to not do it properly. It has to come from Him. It has to come from that heart change. Otherwise, it's just, it's just going to be odious and, and miserable, and, and, and I hope you appreciate this, God, because I sure, you know, that, that's not really getting to His heart. Thessalonians, if anyone does not obey our message, take note of him and do not associate closely with him so that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's obvious the New Testament writers were even trying to wrestle this principle through. 
You know, they're going, what happens when you have conflict even with a, a, a brother? And it's not going well, and, and they're not receiving what they're, uh, is of the Lord. He said, well, take note and don't, you know, let them know that this isn't appropriate. But they're not your enemy. James, he, he talks about the, becoming an enemy of God. And earlier in this passage, he's, he's, he said that you, ha, you don't have because you don't ask, but even when you're asking, a lot of times you're asking out of your own self. You're wanting to spend it on yourself, or you're wanting it for your own desires. And he says, um, that's in a sense adulterous in the Lord. You know, it's... He's saying, I love you, God, but I really love myself. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, that's not appropriate. But he goes on and says, friendship with the world means hostility toward God. Whoever decides to become the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. In Philippians, it also, you know, Paul speaks of becoming, uh, many are enemies of the cross. And he says, their end is destruction. So there is a day when those things are, are settled and put in place. But as believers, we're encouraged to set that off. <laughs> we're not to be chasing it down ourselves. That's not the primary focus of our lives. Maturity in us has a generosity about it that isn't seen in other places. Maturity in us, the Spirit of God truly living in us, comes out in a generosity that others are kind of amazed at. Why would they do that? I want to finish with a passage out of 2 Corinthians. Paul was receiving an offering for people that were suffering and in struggle, and the Corinthian believers had, had given money. And this is a, just a, he's kind of going back and thanking them and, and encouraging them. He says, uh, the grace of God was given to the churches. He, he, it was given through these people. And in their extreme poverty, they've overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. So even in their own turmoil and in their own difficulty, he says, they gave generously. So there, there was a wonderful thing that took place out of that. He said they even gave beyond their means. In his looking at it, he says, they gave more than they should have. In the fifth verse, it says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us. So in other words, they, they saw this as something unto the Lord. And then their response was to the rest of the, to the people around them. He says, my point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So here's, here's the point. It's not, oh man, I hate to do this, but I know God wants it. That's reluctance, right? Or compulsion is, Oh, I know this is what I have to do because that's what Christians do. Compulsion. He says, no, what really touches the heart of God is somebody go, I really want to do this. This is something I'm about. And that's, that's from a heart change. That's, that's from 
the presence of God working in us. But that's what we call out for and say, I want to be mature and complete in you. And I recognize that that's imitating your character. So develop that in me and help me to see things that should be done and to be cheerful about the doing of it. God is able to make all grace overflow so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow into every good work. He's saying God puts enough in your hand to do what he's asking you to do. And so you can be cheerful about that. He puts enough ability and possession and resource into your ability to direct it. And he says, it's up to you then to say, this is my choice. And cheerfully, I will give this direction. Now God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide and multiply your supply of seed and cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Sometimes people, after a message like this, will say to me, "Um, yeah, I don't know that God's given me anything to give. Yeah, you're calling the scripture a liar, one. It's not my issue, it's yours, okay? Um, but <laughs> what I'd encourage you to do is to look at what you have in hand now. You know, you might be saying, well, you know, when I get to a million, then I'll just give away money. Well, God bless you, but, you know, it's not going to get any easier then than it is now. I mean, remember... <laughs> Remember training a little kid how to give or even share toys? It gets ugly. You know, they, that Lego that's so precious to be stepped on all over the house, right, suddenly is the most precious toy that kid ever had. And, you know, it's like they draw a line and say, You want a tantrum like you've never seen? Just take this from me and give it to someone else. You know, that selfishness is in us from early on. But maturity in Christ is going to be a changing that allows generosity to function through us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Praise the Lord. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage that you would draw us into maturity. And we acknowledge that at times our selfishness comes out in ways that really is not very good. But we would ask that you would keep working with us. And just as you've allowed the sun and rain to shine on us when we're not living very well, we ask that... uh, you would help us to see others similarly and still be generous. Amen. Let's walk through this just a bit further. You can be generous with compliments, right? I mean, that's, that's something that uh, 
Well, they really didn't do it all that special. Complicate, <laughs> complicate, no. Compliment what was done well, or what could have, what was done. You know, that's, that's a step forward, right? In breaking off some of this. Uh, it's not just giving away things, but that's part of it. But just saying, okay, Lord, how, how do you view generosity? And me knowing that you're not going to destroy me in the process. So let's let's ask, ask the Lord to make that alive in our hearts. Okay. Okay. I want to pray for God's blessing on you. For it remains it's open-ended. It's worship. There is a meal downstairs. Everybody's invited. May your blessing rest on these your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. Discover with joy your generosity and the ability to be generous. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.